Welcome, everybody, to yet another Britain Yankee Craft Beer Podcast. This is podcast number 371, and it is actually going to be a, a, a very exciting podcast for me because the beers that we're going to be sampling and the person we're going to be talking to has really got my juices flowing. But before we do that, okay, and I, yes, okay, you can you can mop up my juices later, boys. I just want to say... I'm I'm the Brit, Phil Clark, and uh, thank you very much to everybody who's listening. Thank you for subscribing. You can reach us at pints at thebritainyankee.com, and we're on all major podcast outlets. And I'm happy to say that today, for this special occasion, we have the band back together again. I have both of my uh, regular or irregular, I guess, they they kind of switch out, Um co-host with me so first of all i'm going to introduce from church street brewing in itasca illinois it is the senior brewing consultant mr chuck ford hello chuck hello 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 phil hello, hello. chuck i love his little intro <laughs> how are you doing i'm doing pretty good i haven't seen you for a few yeah weeks. people throwing a lot of lagers and that always slows me down a little bit oh it does yeah it's because you're getting old like me yeah oh wait a minute i am old uh, and then uh, sitting next to him, although we are recording this on Zoom, so hopefully the sound will come out okay. There may be a few internet splurges now and again, and hopefully, like last time, we don't lose the internet connection. Uh, but with uh, with him or on his left or my right and right in front of me and behind him and on the other side of the bar is Mr. Ken McMullen, who is the head brewer at Hot Thyme Brewing in Aurora, Illinois. Buenos dias. I like that head brewer thing. Oh, brew janitor, brew. Yeah, but well, you're the brew master. You yeah, call you the brew master, right? Brew monkey. Oh, that's yeah. one of your yeah, beers, isn't it? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, in this episode, back in October of last year, we talked, if you remember, and I can't remember which one of you was here, but I know both of you know this brewery. We talked with Matt Manthe of Odd Breed Ales. They're out of uh, Pompano Beach. And they are a mixed culture slash fermentation brewery. And um, it was really impressive. And what I'm glad to say is that now in Chicago, we have our own sour and mixed fermentation brewery, Odious Cellars. And with us, hopefully in the tap room where he brews, and we'll get him to tell us where that is in a second, is the founder and brewer, Reeve Joseph. Are you there? Most certainly. Howdy, fellas. Hey, he's great. Well, got him. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I know this was kind of a, um, we, we were going to do it at one day, and then we're going to do it another day, and then we're going to do it at one time, and then Ken screwed it up. He wanted to do it early. We are here, <laughs> and we have your beers, which is the most important thing. And before we get into those beers, I just want to give a shout out to our chum, Marge Wright, who is the wife, I think, or, or I guess slash partner, I don't know. I think they're married. Um, <laughs> of Bill Wright, which uh, he has the uh, Wright Deck Beers group. Facebook group, and he also does festivals in Carol Stream or Streamwood or something like that. And uh, she suggests, she said, you know, I've met this great guy called Reeve Joseph, and he is going to be giving me some beers. And I've tasted a couple of them. They're fantastic. You need to talk to him. So I says, okay, fine, I will. So we exchanged emails. We went back and forth. And I exchanged some beers with her, and she gave me a couple of your beers, Reeve. I now have five of your beers. And I just want to also give – hang on, where's my bell? Here it is. Somebody needs to do the bell. We'll give a shout-out to Beer on the Wall in uh, Park Ridge. 
because they had your beers reefed. They had uh, two of them still left. And I went up there and I found out that they were closed because it was a day after Memorial Day and they were taking a day <laughs> off. And they said, oh, knock on the door and we'll give them to you. So I knocked on the door and they gave me your beers and the rest is history. So beer on the wall. Right. Enough of banter. Let's get to the first beer and then we'll get to you, Reeve. And whilst we're drinking this, you can tell us all about it and then we'll get into more good stuff. So sure. the first one right now, one of the questions we're going to ask you is what the hell, where'd you get all these bloody names from? But before that, I'll tell you what it is I'm doing. The first one I'm doing is Physis or Physis Nomos. It's a Brett IPA. This is my first Brett IPA. How about you guys? Uh, yeah, it's been probably. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. There seems to be a consensus that we are boldly going where no man has boldly gone before. So I'm going to open this up. There we go. And tell us a little bit about this beer as I'm pouring it. Uh, sure. So uh, this was definitely a little bit of a, a project of mine. We've done a few iterations. Each one, the hot bill, we've, we've kind of changed just slightly, messing around with it. Uh, so this was supposed to showcase a lot of the cool interactions that that can take place between hops and, and Britannomyces. So um, one of the things that's really cool is Britannomyces specifically can sometimes, potentially, uh, theoretically, can kind of release some previously bound up aromatics called glycosides. Um, so there's various enzymes that essentially there's an inactive sugar molecule and Brett has an enzyme that come in clip that off. And then uh, potentially that has the uh, opportunity to add some new, interesting aromatics, some flavors that weren't there previously. Um, also because, you know, Brett kind of continues to ferment just a little bit in the can, it's going to scavenge uh, oxygen. So it's going to keep those hops fresher for much, much, much longer than not traditional ale yeast would. Now, this doesn't have a date on it. Um, do you know when you my oh it's oh just reading on the side here it says double dry hot with brew one citra and southern passion i'm assuming mm -hmm. that southern passion is a hop and not just that you're from the south and you're very passionate a, a little bit of both <laughs> okay so uh before we ask you the next question what are you drinking uh right now i'm actually drinking ode to whimsy our uh our wit beer that we've done rather recently. So it is uh, Indian and Moroccan coriander, Satsuma Mandarin and Meyer Lemon. And then uh, everything we do is with Britannomyces. This one specifically is done with a different strain uh, that's a little more fruit forward, less barnyard, kind of accentuating those citrus notes. Yeah. So definitely I get the barnyard smell, if that's how you want to put it. I call it more like a kind of a funky shit smell, but... <laughs> Sure, sure. You know, tomato, tomato. That's me. The horse uh, playing So, so yeah. Chuck, what do you think? But yeah, I, I get the, uh, I get the barnyard, but it's not real overpowering. You're, you get, you get the other stuff with it, uh, just in the nose, and and then when you drink it, it's very, mm. you know, it's it's light and and the hops don't uh, you don't get the um, like the resiny hop finish that you get with a lot of IPAs. So, which is nice. And, uh, what is it though? It's, um, I don't know if there's, it's like a combination of fruity and floral. I, I don't know it, the, the Brett, you know, it, it does something to the hop character, which makes it, you know, quite unique or different from just a regular IPA. Ken, I think I get all that too. Um, the thing for me is the body of this is so light. Yeah. It's yes. It's very, light, but... very refreshing and. Yeah, uh, you don't taste the horse, you know, the, the Brett character. Yeah, really. It's in you the taste, nose. You yeah. It's in, definitely in the nose, yeah. very evidently. But so, so listeners to this show will know that I am pretty much a hazy hater. And when I poured this Good. out, I said, oh, look, it looks like a hazy beer. That said, everything these guys say, especially the light and refreshing, is very true. This is a very drinkable beer. So, Thank you very much. I, I think, you know, definitely drinkability is always uh, on the forefront for what we're trying to do. 
Uh, fortunately enough, when you're brewing with Britannomyces, it's going to be a little bit drier. There's going to be very little, if any, residual sweetness. Usually they are absolutely bone dry, very light bodied that just keeps you, you know, reaching for another sip. You know, God forbid in the, in the modern day of beers, it's, it's almost a novelty that you have things that are, you know, light and drinkable and you may want to have yeah. a second after the first, you know. But you always, and you end up with beers that are, like in this case, anyway, that are more delicate in some ways. You know, like you don't have to, the hops come through, you don't have to hit people over the head with the hops because it's dry enough that it, um, I'm guessing, you know, the hopping, well, I don't know. I'm guessing the hopping rates would be lower than a typical IPA. When they are not. Um, yeah. So I don't know off the top of my head, uh, hot side additions. I'd probably have to guess somewhere around one and a half to two pounds per barrel. And then dry hop is probably around two pounds per barrel. That's still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely pretty significant. Um, you know, that one is, is probably a couple of months old. So I'm sure a little bit of the hop is faded, but yeah. But still, I mean, like you said, it scavenges the oxygen. So, I mean, it, it's very, I still get a lot of the hot flavor. It's just not, uh, you know, like typical IPAs get like a real resiny finish. Some of them, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it, but like this doesn't have that, which is nice. Mm-hmm. So where does the name come from? Did I ask him that? Where's the name come from? Fit, yeah, it, you did not ask me that. that. And fortunately enough, I didn't answer just yet. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> So, uh, physis nomos is kind of like a, um, a nurture versus nature, kind of like the great, uh, law and in order of sort of struggle between, you know, man and the world around him and things like that. And I guess it, it was a little bit tongue in cheek and that, you know, we're predominantly doing a lot of mixed culture, sour stuff. And, uh, I definitely wanted to, you know, put something hoppy out there, but also again, doing a little bit of nod to those Brett hop interactions and kind of the natural the natural product of the hop, how I can kind of intervene and maybe coerce some extra characters and aromas out of them through these, you know, bio for, uh, biotransformation processes. So when, when are you drawing this? What, what part of fermentation? I'm sorry, say again, you cut out for a second. What, what, uh, at what time, when are you dry hopping this? Um, so I will do a, a smaller amount, probably about a half pound per barrel during active Fermentation, uh, active fermentation for when you're doing primary with Britannomyces is relatively quick. I mean, we're hitting terminal probably within three, four days. So not too far from like a a quike fermentation. Uh, So you got to be monitoring pretty quickly. So again, probably doing a smaller one there to try to get a little bit of uh, Brett and uh, hop interaction. And then the final dry hop I'm doing near uh, after we're getting repeat gravity, you know, all fermented out usually with our beers like i said they're fermenting out in three or four days but then we're letting the brett develop flavor for another couple of weeks uh maybe two or three and so depending on what the end process is i may dry hop right when fermentation is done uh to allow a little bit of yeast interactions or if i'm really just going for the most fresh um you know untainted uh hop addition i may do it right before cold crashing and carbonation and try to minimize the interaction kind of depends on the finished product. Okay. So, um, we're, I'm, I'm going to ask uh, a real basic question. Um, after I've asked this next question, all right. Don't let me forget. <laughs> okay. my, don't let okay. me forget my question. Boys. Your basic question. Yeah. Right. So my first question is give us a summary of how the heck you got to where you are today, because I am sitting here in my shooked weed, t-shirt which not many people can see because we're not on on video um, i have my wicked weed glass and i really enjoyed my visit down to Asheville to the uh to the tap room fantastic place and i understand mm-hmm. that features in your history of how you got to where you are today so give us a quick summary of how the hell you got to this point where you are now <laughs> Uh, sure. I'm, I'm usually pretty long winded, so I'll, I'll try to keep it tight. Um, <laughs> essentially well, I'm told to me, have you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was born and raised in uh, Metro Detroit. And so I got into homebrewing as many did in, uh, you know, sort of the, the late aughts, probably around 2010 or so, maybe a, a touch earlier, you know, cause you can buy homebrewing ingredients when you're 18, you don't have to be 21 fun little loophole. Uh, so got really into that. 
And I decided to move out to Chicago to try to eventually attend uh, the Siebel Institute. Um, and so I came here, worked at uh, a few smaller breweries, made my way over to Lagunitas for a number of years, went and did the Siebel master's course. So that was um, two months here in Chicago and then about five months over in Munich, uh, came back. And then, you know, I over there, I really got enamored with trying to open up my own place, especially, you know, focusing on sours and bread, just really dorking out and all that fun stuff. And, you know, they don't do a lot of that stuff at Lagunitas. Uh, and also to, you know, eventually open up my own place, the stuff there was never going to be entirely applicable as far as scale, right? So a gentleman I went to school with, my buddy Jeremy, and um, later roommate uh, said that they were hiring a pub brewer down at Wicked Wheat. And I said, you know what, I'll come on down, I'll check it out. Went down there, I thought the beers were phenomenal. I thought Asheville was gorgeous. Um, I, I do a little bit of rock climbing and a big outdoors guy myself. So I uh, tricked my wife into coming down with me and then got a feel for you know a smaller system, working on the 15 barrel thing, trying to interact with their uh, sour program as much as I could. And then, you know, got, there was a little bit of a buyout, got a little check to cover some moving fees to come back up here. So uh, what was your opinion on the buyout, by the way? Because when it happened, I thought everybody like, that was the end of Wicked Weed, never buying their beers again. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's it's difficult. I was, you know, when when I was there, I was I was pretty upset about it. My wife actually worked for the company as well. Um, so it was funny. She was sitting right next to me in the meeting when we found out. And, you know, that's that's never something I necessarily wanted to be a part of. Um, but, uh, you know, after you're in business for a while, I, I understand there are you know certain limitations in your growth. And that is definitely another way to for them to continue to grow and to, you know, uh, just continue to get those wonderful beers out there. But, you know, uh, I decided to kind of go my own way. But I adore everyone down there. I can't say enough good things about their beer, about everyone at that company. Phenomenal human beings, all of them. All right. Well, we're going to drink up our first beer. And then I'm going to cut because we're going to open up our second beer. And there'll be more questions for you moving on from where you are now. Okay. All right. All right. We'll be back in a sec, folks. My next question for Mr. Reeve is you are currently not in your own tap room and you're brewing at a location that has got some real good uh, press recently. And I can't pronounce the damn name because it's weird. All I know is the first four letters are a Frank Herbert sci-fi novel. So tell us how you, where you're brewing right now. Uh, sure. So I'm brewing out of uh, Dune Year in the South Loop of Chicago. Dune Year. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, right. Well, we have our next beer, which we've gone from dry to wet hopping. <laughs> so we've got your Novo Toronto, and I understand you have one of these as well. I do. So I found one uh, hidden in the back. All right. So can we do a synchronized opening? Oh, you've got to be quicker than that, man. I know. I tell you. All right. I'm going to open it. Here we go. Let's see if I can. Sure. There we go. Beautiful. So, first question I have is what's, I mean, of, of, apart from the obvious, wet and dry hopping, explain the differences to me, the uh, novice here. Uh, sure. As most of the vernacular within beer, it is incredibly confusing and cryptic. And um, often, even when talking to other brewers, you have to kind of specify uh, a lot of things. So, um, you know, dry hopping, typically you're taking pelletized hops and you are tossing them into the beer post-fermentation in the fermenter. Wet hops uh, is more of the product itself. How you interact with them is uh, kind of preferential. So... Wet hops are essentially, you know, hops picked from the vine and trying to integrate into the beer within 12 hours or so, usually the same day. This one, for example, is done with cashmere hops from Hophead Farms, 
right in Southwest Michigan. And so they picked them the morning of, and I think they dropped them off here at like 10 a.m. So incredibly fresh. Uh, the idea is to try to just get as much as that raw oil and flavor uh, into the beer as, as possible. And this one is also 5.5%, which is, I think all of your beers are pretty much around 6% or less, at least the ones I've had so far. And that's yep. really nice because that, make, that makes you mean that we can have five of them. One can split between three of us and we'll be fine. Um, this one I notice is uh, a little darker in color. And in fact, I've got some good stuff on the bottom, as a friend of mine used to say. I can see that there is some residue on the bottom of my glass, and I'm happy about that because, you know, I like that bit. It gives you <laughs> extra flavor. Now, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to sip this up. So tell us what, you know, you say you add Brett to everything, and that's sure. how your beers. Can you encapsulate exactly that process? Because uh, Sure. Yeah, because I mean, for so, the average uh, person, it's like, oh, you're souring a beer? How the hell do you do that? Right, yeah, it's tough. It's definitely, you know, a little bit of an uphill battle on that. Most of our beers require a little bit of a conversation to explain who is Brett, what is Brett, yada, yada. Um, so again, for me, I was always just very interested in a lot of the, the flavor aspects of it. You know, getting into craft beer, the first time I had uh, a, some sours, uh, I was just completely enamored. I loved not only the acidity, the fruitiness, but the depth of flavor as well, kind of the funk. And then upon doing a little bit of research, you find, okay, you know, you've got Lactobacillus, Pediococcus that are contributing acidity. And then Britannomyces is doing uh, the bulk of the work, providing the funk and kind of the bedrock to uh, add a lot of depth to these things. So like I said, a lot of the things we're doing, actually everything we do is 100% Britannomyces primary fermentation. We've, uh, we've, you know, experimented with a lot of different strains, kind of seeing, you know, what, what are, which ones interact best with hops, you know, the more fruity flavors, which ones have the classical barnyard kind of flavor that might go into a traditional Saison type thing. Uh, this one specifically was from the yeast lab, I'm sorry, the East Bay over in California. And this one specifically has a lot of kind of stone fruit, a little bit of, uh, cleaner fruit notes but yeah no no acidity you know there is a common misconception that brett makes beer sour which is not true uh it doesn't happen at all uh it, you know it's pretty hilarious you know off color has a big old sign when you go to their tap room it says you know wild does not mean sour you know um so yeah definitely looking to explore i again just all the interesting flavor combinations that botanomyces can offer so so is, do, I know how yeast comes. How does Brettanomyces come? Is it like in a little vial and you pour it in, or what do you do? Wash your hands in it, or something, or what? <laughs> yeah, it's very much, very much the same. Um, and you can, you know, cultivate it the same way you cultivate other uh, yeasts as well. So, you know, Saccharomyces normal brewer's yeast is is all around us. You can put out some various petri dishes to collect, you know, native yeast. And Brettanomyces is is very much the same. It's usually on fruits and plants and, and all around us. So this beer is completely different to the dry hot one, in my opinion, anyway. What notes go to Ken first? Yeah, I get, uh, I, I don't get as much of the Brett in the nose no. as the last one. And yeah. the mouth feels a little different, a little more uh, oily, and a, a little more slick. Um, and the fruit, like you said, you said bright fruit that dead on, uh, like peach, I think you said stone fruit, but I, I get peach and maybe maybe a little orange on yeah. the sides of my tongue in the finish. I, I love it. It's delicious. Yeah, I agree with that too. It's like you don't get the the noise isn't as uh, as wild, I suppose you could say. But yeah, I, what Reeve was saying too is that it's it's you know bread doesn't sour. It's just it's just a it's they call it wild. It's like a wild flavor. It's uh, mm -hmm. there's like spicy. Nodes and whatnot that come from from wild yeast that you don't get with regular yeast and so, and you get that you get those spicy notes. It, it's it's tucked in there amongst the hops, but it's there. And know. I I have the benefit of reading the notes on the can, and uh, <clears throat> my initial 
sip, I went, wow, I, I can taste something in there. And I looked and it was cantaloupe, it says here, mm -hmm. cantaloupe, peach, <laughs> and lemon lime. So I'm not about the lemon lime, but the cantaloupe and the peach right off the bat. What a, what, what a fantastic contrast for both of these beers. Yeah, thank well, you. That, that oh, was, yeah. That's something that, I, that there was fruit added and we didn't even yeah. say that. Yeah, it's, well, it's well, not I don't sweet. Think you, you it's not overly fruited or anything. It wasn't. Like you did, did you add fruit or was it the hop? Nope. Oh, no fruit. Yeah, I thought okay, you were yeah. saying that. No, no, no. Sorry. I got the benefit of reading the, the script here on the <laughs> side. That's great. I take that as a wonderful compliment. If you <laughs> there. And so actually, I. Oh, I'm ahead. sorry to cut you off, but Ken said my my favorite thing that I, I love to hear when people are are tasting our beers and they're like, oh, I don't taste the bread. There's no bread in this. And that is my absolute favorite thing to hear, even though sometimes that is accompanied by a two-star review on Untapped. Uh, <laughs> is that, you know, people assume that bread is this earthy, you know, funky barnyard, horse blanket, dirt flavor, when when you're using it in primary fermentation by itself, it's the exact opposite. There is maybe a, a touch of that depending on what you do. So I love when people say it doesn't taste like bread. It's my favorite yeah. thing. Hey, we've hit, we've done a hit with him. We'll give him a ding. <laughs> that's a, by the way, that's a, a, a bell that we have here in the uh, pub. We call it our sponsor's bell, but whenever we mention anybody we really like, we give you a ding. So. One of two bells. One of two, but well, no, the other, oh, yeah, well, the other Please. bell's the closing bell. We won't go to that till we finish. Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> okay, so you are currently down at Dunier. I'll probably bugger that up again. Uh, um, but you were brewing somewhere else before you got there, right? Uh, yes. Before that, we were brewing the odious beers outside of a pilot project at Logan Square. Pilot project. Okay. So you're, you've, you're firmly in, entrenched down in Chicago. Um, are you going to open your tap room down there? Yes, absolutely. So that was something we started. Uh, we spent, you know, a few years looking for the right place. And then, you know, uh, actually in February of 2020, we were doing a lot of demolition work, getting things built. And then I'm sure you're very familiar with what happened the month after that, full lockdown, which oh, means we, yeah, yeah. I don't oh, know if you recall, it seems yeah, like a lifetime that. ago. But uh, so at that point, actually, our business loan uh, just was completely canceled. That was to be coming through within the coming months. You know, the bank was telling us, spend all your money now, make sure you expedite the process. The loan is coming. It's on the way. Then with lockdown, uh, it took us about six weeks to even get the bank on the phone. So there was a lot of sleepless nights. Uh, and then we finally did get him on the phone. It was very abrupt. And he's like, Reeve, I'm real sorry. I mean to talk to you. There's no new business. Best of luck. He just hangs up on me. Wow. Uh, and, <laughs> and so there was a great deal of uncertainty for a long period of time, trying to figure out what was going on. And you know, I guess fortunately for us, that was not a unique situation. It turns out a couple other people were in a very similar boat. But uh, so we decided to uh, start brewing outside of Pilot Project to build the brand, to get the beers out there, to start to, you know, build a little bit of recognition while we still pursued our tap room. So uh, we actually should be picking up construction uh, within the coming months. And we should be hopefully knock on wood, opening up our tap room. Perhaps I would say conservatively early next year. Where exactly is it going to be? Can you say that? Uh, sure. So the facility we've been uh, currently building is over in Western Logan Square. That's at Armitage and Kimball. It's actually an old movie theater space built in 1918. Oh, so cool. it's it's a gorgeous space. You know, um, the back theater is 10,000 square feet, uh, 40 feet tall, so we can stack oak barrels 40 feet high and get a little bit of a you know a beer forest back there. And then we have the old projection rooms up above. That'll be the office space. So it, it's it's a gorgeous spot. Fantastic. And I'm glad you mentioned barrels because I want to get into that in our next segment because we're going to take another quick break and open beer number three. Back in a sec. All right, beer number three is one that um, 
I, I'm going to ask you about the uh, the artwork in a sec in a second. Um, this one is called Div- Divination, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I got it right. It's just listed as a sour ale, mm-hmm. but it does have ingredients in it. I'm not going to tell these guys what it is. I want to see if they know and can identify at least one or two of them. Uh, so I'm okay, going to cool. crack, crack this open. I bet you don't have this one, do you? you- uh, I do. I should have got it. You know- <laughs> I'm doing a terrible job. <laughs> You're by yourself. There's three of us. <laughs> right. Now, I have to admit, I have actually had this one first because I got three of these. And when I was pulling off the plastic top, Somehow I punctured one of the cans, so I had to drink it. So I do know what I'm getting into here. So this has fruit added to it? it? This does have some fruit in it, yes. Now, this is coming out as a oh, but show the camera just in case I do do something online. Um, coming out a lovely pink color. I would call this a dark, a light raspberry or a dark hibiscus. Um, so... Yep, there we go. You can have a little more, Ken. There we go. Smelling, <laughs> smelling raspberry. That's so um, now this one. Now you don't put any dates on your cans as to when you put them in. And I think while we were off, Mike, uh, Ken, you had a point about the last wet hop one. Yeah. So it's a wet hop beer, which means you harvest hops in the fall. So it was probably brewed around September, oh. and we're in June. So that usually wet hop beers by November or not that great anymore. Is that that tastes excellent, man? So it's a testament to what Brett is doing in the can there. Is that yeah, is that accurate there, uh, Reeves? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so, I mean, ongoing experiment. I don't necessarily have any articles that I can cite uh, from the scholarly world or anything, but uh, anecdotally, I could say that. Yeah, like I said, scavenging the oxygen is absolutely key to just make sure that those are shelf stable and you're kind of just getting the maximum amount of lifespan out of the hops. But also it's really interesting, you know, what I hearkened to a little bit earlier, the way they interact with hops and can kind of go through these various forms of, of flavor that are very interesting. So with the Physis Nomos and Nova Toronto and some of the other things we've done, tasting them over time, they'll go through these various phases of tasting you know, like Nova Toronto, we talked a little bit like big cantaloupe. And then after a couple months, that is completely gone and it tastes very citrusy and limey. Mm-hmm. And then after a couple of weeks, boom, all of a sudden that peach is there. And so it's kind of cool. It's, it's, a, it's a living, breathing, ever-changing thing, which is, you know, very akin to a lot of the, you know, barrel-aged sours that we do as well. You know, changing over time, always kind of uh, an ongoing experiment. Yeah. So, so divination... Um, let's have these guys talk about it. Chuck. <laughs> so I get, uh, it's like pomegranate, maybe? Flavor? And- no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, in, in general, what do you think about it? You know? Oh, well. You can hurt my feelings. I, I so. got like, I got like, rasp- <laughs> I got my first, on the nose, it was, it was like raspberry, but then I thought, no, it's something else. Is it raspberry? It's raspberry. <laughs> okay, for Ding, some reason, that's the first. You know what it is? It's just. It must be the, uh, the bread. It changes it a little bit, so it's very. It's a little more subtle. It, it, the raspberry is strong in the nose, but then when you tasted it, it tastes a little, a little different. Okay. In, in a good way. Yeah, you're 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 right, Ken. Yeah, I I when you poured it, I thought, okay, maybe that's blueberry, but uh, when I tasted it. And I and in the aroma too, I got raspberry, and then there's a little yeah. tartness. It's probably from the raspberries, and then I thought maybe grape, but maybe that's the blueberry you're telling me. Well, okay, so we got raspberry and blueberry so far, and I always say that when you put blueberry into into something, it's just for color because I find it very difficult to actually. It's a very subtle. Yeah, yeah, it's very subtle. Yeah. Um, now I think something that tends to turn this a little you know less of the sweetness is the fact that it has Maya lemon in it right yep and then the secret ingredient which i don't think any of us would have guessed is yuzu what the hell is yuzu it's a lumpy lemon (laughs) it's what it's a lumpy looking lemon oh it is (laughs) yeah it's a real sad looking one yeah it is so why'd you put in like two lemon flavors you've got a Maya lemon and a yuzu are they different flavors 
Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, even Meyer lemon is is definitely noticeably different than your traditional lemon. It's a little more sweet, not as acidic and and kind of jarring. And yuzu definitely a little more, a little softer, fruitier, almost mandarin like uh, I would say. And I always, you know, whenever I'm using an ingredient, I I'm a big fan of using several forms or you know several iterations and to try to have a more rounded, more of a complex flavor in there. Yeah. Yeah, this beer is just, as far as I'm concerned, the perfect beer for sitting on the deck on a hot summer's day and you want to have something that will kind of quench your thirst but also have flavor and it'll last a while. I don't know. I could probably drink two or three of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a pool beer. So how did you um, come to make this one? I mean, you know, how do you make your choices of the ingredients? Um, you know, that depends. Uh, sometimes there's an idea of, you know, some sort of a bit of inspiration, maybe a cocktail, maybe a Kool-Aid flavor from a kid when I was a kid, um, you know, or, you know, perhaps one of the farms we buy stuff from has a new interesting product that we kind of want to try out. Uh, you know, inspiration comes from all kinds of places. Uh, also a lot of times it has come from our artist as well. So when I'm sending her ideas for labels, I'll give her a few ideas of the beer name and then occasionally the ingredients, but sometimes just an idea of what the name is, where it comes from, kind of the, the feeling it evokes. And then based on the artwork, uh, I may decide, you know, to do uh, certain ingredients or omit some. So it de well, depends. You've brought up the artwork, so let's talk about that. Each of these sure. cans has the most amazing labels on them, um, which will, you know, it's kind of like they're, they're pictures in themselves, and you can look at the can and sip the beer and enjoy everything about it. Who mm -hmm. is the artist, and uh, did she decide to use black cans? Because that is a unique thing as well. Uh, so while I, I wish I could take any credit for the art or anything, uh, in that nature, I can definitely take hundred percent credit for the black cans. That's something I always wanted to do. Um, first of all, it's, it's very difficult to stand out on the shelf. You know, right now there is a whole lot of overwhelming options when you walk into the beer store, myself included, haven't been, you know, a craft beer maker and drinker for well over a decade. It's still overwhelming when I, you know, pop into a Binnie's or something like that. Um, so I thought it was an interesting way to stand out, but also I just, thought they just looked rad uh it, it turns out you know makes the artwork pop a little bit as well uh so the artist we have is uh joanna frega i actually don't know how to say her name i've only seen it in print we only communicate in email she is an artist in brazil and she is just one of my favorite human beings on the planet um we were before we launched we were speaking to another artist going through these long you know, rigorous emails trying to evoke, you know, the, what Odious is, the quality of beers, the, the style of art that we enjoyed back and forth. And then, you know, about two months before we launched, he just completely ghosted me and didn't answer. And so after a couple of weeks, I started panicking, scrambling to find another artist. I had, you know, pieces of paper notes of people I found on Instagram, on DeviantArt, all over, you know, Magic the Gathering artists, all this stuff here and there. And then, um, and then I hit her up and she responded almost immediately. She said, Oh, I would love, I would love to do some commissions. That sounds really fun. And we've just had a wonderful experience since then. And so I'm looking on here and it says it, I've lost it now. Joe, jo it looks like it's, how did you pronounce it? Joanna Frega. Oh, okay. Cause I looked at it and it, it looked like Joe. Oh yeah. Okay. Because it's all in one. So when you look at it on the label, it's the uh, at sign Joanna yes, her, She. It looks like yeah, her, that's her Instagram handle. Yeah. Okay. So that doesn't do her justice with her name. Fantastic mm -hmm. art. I mean, it is it's, really cool. It's really cool. It's really sophisticated looking. And the, the, the uh, top of the can is also black. I don't know if you mentioned that, but it's really distinctive. Yeah. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So Thank this you. is a fantastic beer. Um, this is, is this available throughout the summer? Let's find out about your distribution then. Cause a lot of these I'm sure 
come and go depending on the time of year. We talked about dry sure. hot versus wet hot. So, <clears throat> excuse me. What's um, uh, are these going to be year round, or or how do you do your beer decisions on which which flavors you're going to do when? Um. So yeah, usually it we're trying to brew around the seasonality of the ingredients. You know, whenever possible. You know, like you mentioned, you know, we've got wet hops typically in the later fall. Usually berries are some of the earliest fruits available and also some of the latest ones available, uh, depending on sort of the harvest season as well. So stuff like that, but also just trying to be a little indicative of the weather um, and kind of just, you know, how we're feeling, to be totally honest. <laughs> Screw them. I'm going to do what I want. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, right. So um, I had in the last segment said I was going to ask you about your barrels. I never got to it. But I do want to ask you about your barrels. So you obviously do a lot of these, well, not obviously, but you do a lot of these in barrels or are they all done in barrels or are some done in normal bright tanks and stuff like that? How, how does that mm -hmm. all work? Uh, so all of our beers start out fairly similar in their fermentation process. Everything undergoes Britannomyces primary fermentation. Uh, again, we may decide what strain best suits uh, the beer. So typically at any given point in time, we have anywhere between three and five strains of Brett on hand. And, you know, occasionally we're like, we give them a shot. Interesting, whatever, trying new ones all the time. Uh, at this point, we have two workhorses and and one that I'm, I'm warming up to as the generations continue. Uh, and then it. After that point, we'll determine, is this a beer that is going into barrels or is it going to get a blend from barrels? So our barrel stock um, is methodology that's similar to what I learned at Wicked Weed, slightly modified. Uh, and so essentially we have a, a house culture that we call Grandsire. And Grandsire operates the same way that a sourdough culture would. So periodically you want to make a loaf of bread. You pull a little starter off, you put some flour in, cool, you got a loaf of bread. Periodically, you feed the starter, and it can go on for years and years and years and years. Oh. So that's what Grandsire is for us. That is our house culture that we periodically feed, we periodically pull from. Uh, so the beer that you have right in front of you, Divination, for example, those beers get a blend of Grandsire. So it'll be 100% Britannomyces fermentation, uh, midway through... Uh, fermentation, I'll blend in between 10 and 20% by volume of Grandsire into there. So for example, if we have a 20 barrel batch, I'll blend in two to four barrels of Grandsire. That's where the acidity is coming from. That's where some additional complexity um, and kind of fun character uh, is from. And then our uh, bottle sours that are in uh, 500 mil bottles, those are 100% oak barrel aged sours themselves. Unblended. Those are the ones I'm looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 my, they're, they're my favorite. They're my little pet projects. Are they, are they only going to be available down at your tap roof? Uh, no, those are out in distribution as well. Um, we've been doing those a little more strategically, and uh, we've got a couple coming up that I'm very excited about. Cool. Oh, I had a question, too. Right. Chuck's got a question. A question. Um, sure. So for your, your bread culture, you don't uh, blend it with other yeast. It's just the bread, right? Correct. Okay. How long does it uh, usually take for primary fermentation to be done? Um, so, I mean, we're hitting stable gravity probably within, you know, strain depending, I would say three to five, sometimes a few more days, but we're not getting flavor development until I would say two, three, sometimes four weeks. Okay. So it goes into just leaving the same fermenter or do you transfer it to other vessels or? Yep, that's all in the in, right in the the same vessel. Oh, okay. So yeah. you just hit, you just wait on it and uh, give it some time. Yeah. So I mean, traditionally in the the sort of the old world approach is you know you're doing maybe a sack fermentation. A lot of uh, sour beer producers are using a Belgian you know sack strain, and then they'll add in Britannomyces for secondary fermentation to sort of yeah. pick up where that fermentation ceased. You know to ferment those residual sugars. And when you do that, that is a very, very slow process, right? So those are more complex sugars. It takes bread 
months and months, sometimes years to break down. Whereas if you're doing primary fermentation, it just rips through those simple sugars just as fast as Saccharomyces would. Well, how big a batches are you brewing? Uh, right now we're doing, uh, depending on what the brand is, between 10 and 20. And then it's all... 10 to 20 wall packaged in can. 20 barrels, sorry. Okay, thank you. <laughs> sorry. I'm the idiot, idiot here, so. <laughs> no, it's all right. Keep me on my toes. It all gets packaged into 16-ounce cans? Um, between that and draft. So, also, we're doing kegs. So, are are you, uh, I mean, it's, the Brett's in there, right? So, are any of your accounts having Brett issues with draft lines or No. Um, no, no, no issues so far. Uh, we definitely let them know I, at that point, you know, things are, are cold and it sells through relatively quickly. It's not too much of a concern. We definitely want to let them give them the heads up that if, you know, if they have a dedicated sort of sour, funky line that things are going through wonderful. And if not, you know, maybe, maybe at their discretion, they may want to clean afterwards before a new beer comes on. Do you, do you self-distribute? We do. So we have our, our wonderful and illustrious sales manager, uh, Shane. So he is, is going and helping us just really grow our footprint and get out there. And then actually, uh, him and I are both doing the deliveries. So usually on Friday, I spend my days in the van driving around, making all the deliveries myself. Well, I think the furthest west you are is where I went to, Beer on the Wall uh, mm-hmm. in Park Ridge. So get Shane's ass out to the Western suburbs. Will you please? The beer seller is out here. Um, I do know of another establishment who I'm sure will be very happy to put a uh, small six door or bigger on a tap. Of the beer, be this if that's what you do, do you do those as well? Do you do draft? <laughs> yep. Yep. Half barrels and six stools. You know, we're, we accommodate all draft sizes, all kegerators, whatever you need. Well, while we were, you guys were chatting. I cracked open because I got to get through these beers for this show. Sure. That's fine. <laughs> I cracked open. I think uh, this is a, a a later or a newer beer of yours. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Everywhere and everywhere. Yes. Okay. And now this is a mixed culture sour ale. Mm-hmm. And um, it has by far, in my opinion, the largest aroma. You know, I'm getting a really beautiful aroma off this. It almost smells like a, uh, a a summer's day in a beautiful orchard because what I'm exactly what we were aiming for blossoms, floral, floral. There we go. Thank you. Um, on the side, it does say orange blossoms. It also says apricots and almonds. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at that, I said, Hmm, almonds. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm not a big almond guy, but, I have to tell you, I pick out the apricots. Fantastic. This is mm-hmm. thank you. the best beer so far for me. I'm glad it's not the worst. That's good news. <laughs> uh, <laughs> None of them are bad. I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I'm, I apologize. Uh, yeah, so apricots definitely uh, in the spotlight with that one. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled with how stone fruits interact with our sour culture. Just super vibrant, juicy. Uh, aromatic and wonderful. And then I wanted to add in a few ingredients to kind of accentuate them as well. So the almonds was a huge pain in the ass. Um, having to mill those myself, I thought I, I bought, you know, slivered almonds. It turns out I bought whole ones, you know, you, <laughs> you make deliveries all day Friday, you grab a couple of beers, you hop on the internet with the company card. Sometimes some stuff shows up. Uh, so I had to break those all down, essentially put them through my homebrew uh, grain mill to break them up, put those in the mash um, to get to interact a little bit. And then the orange blossoms are very interesting too. Uh, I don't mean to, you know, uh, steer you guys down any flavor path, but uh, the orange blossoms, uh, it's really funny. This was an an ongoing conversation, you know, with with Shane, our sales guy. He's like, oh man, I don't know if we should put it. People are going to think they taste like oranges when orange blossoms very much taste akin to some stone fruit. Uh, akin to these like peachy, slightly herbal notes for sure. Uh, but I think they're, they're wonderful. Those are from Rare Tea Cellar. And those I, I think are delightful. And this really round out a little bit of that apricot flavor. Yeah, I mean, sometimes orange is dangerous because, you know, it'll taste like uh, like cleaner or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, you know, it's not even, not even, not even in the ballpark. 
what's nice what's nice about the sour too is that as what i've seen with a lot of these beers is there is very delicate nothing you don't hit people over the head with sour it's just you know it's not like so tired that it oh hurts to drink it, it nothing it, talks about this no, whatsoever. No. Um, there ain't I, no tarts nice. around in, mate. It's the same thing with the previous beer, like with the using. Like if you put too much use to it, whoa, they don't just like. I mean, it's yeah, and it, it's it was. Uh, that's the great thing about some brewers is is ingredients. You just put a little bit sometimes. It, it's you know, yeah. It's not always about just throwing in a ton of something. Anyway, that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, th- I think being delicate sometimes works. Mm-hmm. Now. This is a mixed culture sour ale. So yes. tell me the differences. Why am I l- looking at sour ale and then Brett, and now I'm seeing mixed culture? What does that mean? Uh, sure. I mean, so in, in total transparency, a little bit of that is us figuring out our own branding and how we're trying to portray you know, our, our process and, and kind of what we're doing. So Divination, while it does say a sour ale, I would still put that very much in line with everywhere and everyone as a mixed culture sour ale. So again, you know, mixed culture typically referring to um, Britannomyces, Lactobacillus, Pediococcus, maybe some other strains of Saccharomyces and some other, you know, miscellanea. And so like I mentioned, every, all of the sours we do get a blend of our grandsire sour stock. And that's where the, the mixed culture component comes in, where the mild acidity is coming in, where a little bit of that depth is coming in. Um, while still making sure that these are very much drinkable. Well, they are very drinkable. I so. keep, I, I was going to say, um, I keep, I find myself going back to this again and again, because you can pull out just different flavors. Before you told me what was in here, I was, I was thinking this is kind of like a tart, you know, maybe I thought green apple, maybe I thought like white grape. And then when you said orange blossom, I lived in Southern California for a while. I remember driving through the orange blossoms mm-hmm. totally and the apricot. This is delicious. It's really fun. <laughs> Did you drive through the bond yards? You know what I really remember? <laughs> at, at California Adventure, the Disney park, right? There's a ride where you're flying this, um, what the hell are those called? The hang glider? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're sitting in the thing. And then at one point you go through an or an orchard with the orange blossoms and they actually spray the aroma so that you smell it as you go. Oh, through. wow. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> rad. Pretty cool. All right. We're going to take our last break. We're going to come back and we're going to find out the secret history of all things. Back in a sec. Thank you so much for telling us all about your beers, but now we have to find out what is the secret history of all things, because that's our last beer that we have from you. Um, And they're very interesting and quite all-encompassing title to this beer. Mm -hmm. This is a mixed culture saison. And I read an article, and I don't know where it was or what it was, but it was in the last couple of days. They said that maybe this is going to be the year of the saison. Last year was the year of the lager, and I think certainly we're seeing tons of lagers. Um, Saisons, what uh, what prompted you to brew that? I'm going to... Uh, sure. As, as, oh, man, I, I would love for that to be the case. That's news to me. <laughs> that would be great for me. Uh, it's funny. We were just having a meeting about our production coming up. And we were talking about some some of the more core things that we want to be doing. And we do want to be doing more things in line with secret history, just a, uh, no adjunct, you know, Saison, very light, crushable, uh, kind of a beverage. So that would be fantastic. I am definitely seeing a lot of resurgence of, you know, English ales, um, a lot of beer engines I'm seeing fire up around town, which I'm a massive fan of. That is fantastic news, but yeah. I'm happy yeah, if that. those all get scrapped and we just go the way of Saison. That's great. Let's do that. No. So the <laughs> the words on the side of this says it's a petite saison, which for those of you who don't speak French means it's a little saison. <laughs> uh, fermented with our house strain of Breton Myces and blended with our ever-evolving mixed culture to add simple tartness and depth to a defe- deceptively simple beer 
with complexity for those who seek it. So um, one of our chums of the podcast is Greg Brown over at Aft History, and his favorite beer is the Saison Dupont. Classic beer. Is this, I haven't tasted it. Do you model after Belgian Saisons, or have you done your own thing? Absolutely. That's definitely the basis. Way more than American Saisons, which are straight up not good. Uh, so, you know, having spent uh, a lot of time over in Belgium, you know, traveling oh, over there when God. I was in your school in Munich, and then oh, going to the... Sorry, hang on. No, cut me off. You go. I'm just having an epiphany. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is... Oh, the flavor out of this. Now, this is barnyard, but in such yes. a good way. That is... A- it's tremendous. Okay, sorry. Carry on as you were. No, it's fine. Do go on. Pat, pat me on the back a little bit. Uh, so that beer is is my personal pet. That is. Uh, so when I spoke to you a little bit earlier about when you know we had to pause our tap room, go into the contracting situation, we had to make uh, a pretty big shift in sort of the paradigm of of what Odious was. Uh, meaning that, you know, we really wanted to focus on barrel aged mixed culture sours, that being uh, definitely we're putting in the spotlight, you know, bottles, stuff like that, beers on draft. And so Secret History was the first experiment of like, okay, if Odious is to make a can, uh, beer that goes into cans, what does that mean? Um, and so then that's where Secret History came from. Definitely a lot of inspiration from, you know, spending time in Belgium. Uh, I've I've gone there three different times for the Tour de Goose, which I highly recommend every beer lover do. It's dirt cheap and it is a blast going through all the, the Lambic breweries. Um, so yeah, that beer uh, in line with the processes I mentioned before is kind of how we we laid out this framework in which Brett Primary, uh, a blend of Grand Sire, the sour stock, again, just add very, very mild acidity, a touch of complexity, but uh, this is a beer that, you know, my dad drinks strictly Labatt Blue and he'll still pound on these. So oh, I very much wanted really. to make things very drinkable, very light, while, you know, the beer nerd could find some of the more nuanced yeah. stuff in there. Yeah, these are this is a real delicate beer once again. And it's not like in the style of the French farmhouse sort of style of Saison. It's more of the Belgian. But it's, mm-hmm. it's in my opinion, anyway, it's, it's very nice. And... Um, yeah, uh, the uh, the barnyard's there, but uh, I'm sure that the reason why your dad can pound them is because it's not clobbering you over the head with anything. Right, yeah. absolutely. And it's only again, 4, 4.2, right? Yep. And again, drinkability first and foremost. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for anybody who, <clears throat> excuse me, has never tried a Saison, let alone a mixed culture Saison, this would be a fantastic, this would be just the, yeah. the top they're going to the top before they're going anywhere else mm-hmm. i really like this so now uh i didn't find this uh this is one of the ones i got from marge is this a limited edition are you going to produce it again when are you going to produce it and uh, can you send produce- me a case no <laughs> we don't have a case left it's all gone but um we have brewed that two or th- three times uh as a matter of, as a matter of fact um so there's a couple of versions of that around at some point we'll brew it again. That one is my personal favorite, but I think it's, it's a little, one of those nerdy beers that isn't too sexy. Um, there's no, you know, lactose in there. So little, little bit oh, of a man. No lactose. <laughs> <laughs> where's, the, I, I, where's the cinnamon? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you got lactose or cinnamon in any of you. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, a lot of my uh, professional brewery, owning and brewing buddies have talked about how their mixed fermentation beers are not selling. And so they've literally quit producing them. Hmm. And uh, I'm like, these are amazing. This is where I think, you know, craft should be going as, I mean, this is, I don't know where I was going with that, but well, uh, maybe, maybe it's the fact that, because they're brewing a, a whole variety of beers, they're getting buried in their product line. But a brewery that's focusing on this with all these culinary ingredients along with the mixed fermentation, um, man, I hope you get a lot of love out of this because uh, these are delicious. I'm, I really appreciate it. And 
I, I'm definitely a firm believer in, you know, finding your niche and, and kind of existing there. You know, for, historically, a lot of breweries have tried to produce everything, you know, classic, you know, uh, Western European lagers, very delicate to doing English pub ales, to doing hazies, to doing lactose beers, doing the whole wide spectrum, which, you know, some can do fairly well. But uh, I, I kind of believe that the new flagship is very much the style of beers you produce instead of an individual beer that you produce. I think it, you it know, depends on the brewery, too. Like a brew pub, sure. you kind of got to brew everything. Um, a little neighborhood brewery, you, you kind of brew a variety of things to for your neighborhood. But if you're, if you're pushing the regional, like, uh, you know, I, I, I used to sell real estate and one of the quotes in the first two week course where they're trying to get you ramped up so that you can actually sell a house, you know, yeah. it was, uh, it, one of the terms was fake it till you make it, which is terrible. But <laughs> the other one was the riches is in the niches. And, yeah. uh, I think you're there, man. This is awesome. I appreciate that very much. No, I, I think um, one of the beer uh, breweries out in here in the uh, the western suburbs is Afterthought Brewing. Yep. And uh, they do a lot of fantastic barrels. And I'm going to get to it now. What about your barrels? How many do you have? What are your favorite barrels? What's the best one you want to put your beer into? That's a fantastic question. Um, so... Uh, let me give you a brief history of how we started our our barrels as well. So um, it started off as a little bit of a Darwinian approach in that it would be survival of the fittest, um, you know, let the rest fall by the wayside. So we started off with 16 neutral wine barrels. And so every pair of barrels would get a different inoculation of either, you know, a commercially available blend of mixed culture or um, bottle dregs or perhaps some wild cultured yeast that I, that I got myself. So the idea was like, okay, we've got these 16, let's let them age. Let's kind of see what's good, what's bad. If, and pull the ideal one, propagate that up. And that'll be the genesis of our sour program. Uh, they all turned out pretty good. <laughs> so it was, it was very funny. You know, they all went through various phases, uh, of flavor, some were up, some were down, uh, some were just really, really tremendous. And then over time, they all leveled out to, uh, to be wonderful. So we ended up actually using blends of all of those to kind of put into the beers that we think, you know, evokes kind of the character. So, but definitely the best, um, I would say my, my little pet barrel was from, actually two of them, sorry, were from uh, Belgian sour drinks. So just, you know, the, the yeast and, and whatnot that you'd find at the bottom of the bottle. Michael Tonsmeyer, who wrote American Sours, affectionately Hello, refers to- somebody's throwing uh, the pub. Sorry, carry as, on. Uh, as uh, beers with a resume. And I always thought that was awesome. Uh, the fact you, you, know, you drink through the beer, you see its, its history, you see what the deal is, and then you can kind of, you know, hire them on the spot if need be. And that's very much what we did. Oh, have you got any wine barrels? Yep. Uh, all of them actually are neutral wine. So they, they weren't first, you know, they weren't freshly rinsed. There was, there wasn't any wine character in them, but they were definitely wine oak barrels, which are uh, far greater quality than, you know, spirit barrels, typically, you know, whiskey and, and all those are essentially disposable. They're, they're fairly poor construction. Um, whereas wine is used over and over and over again, very sturdy. They'll last sometimes a lifetime. Do you like the red wines or the uh, or the white wine? Um, it depends. It depends what you're you're shooting for. You know, uh, I'm a fan of doing a little blend of both, and then kind of just you know seeing where the blend takes you. Mm -hmm. I I would like you to get some port wine barrels and uh, try something in that. Absolutely, a big fan. Fantastic. Big fan of Madeira myself specifically. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, listen. Um, we have managed to get our way through five of your beers. Um, and even though they're lower, I'm beginning to feel it. <laughs> um, but we really appreciate you uh, uh, coming onto the show and telling us all about your process. There's so much more to this. There's so much more complexity to your beers than just the normal location. And I think, Ken, you said it right. You know, the riches are in the niches. I certainly hope 
that you are going to be one of the rich people. <laughs> keep keep making ideas and get them out to the western suburbs because I hate coming down to Chicago. So <laughs> I hear you. My sales guy's over here, so he's taking. All right. <laughs> So um, I guess we can raise our glasses. I'm going to try the mixed culture saison here. And how about you? We got the ball. Oh, he's got four. I've got two of them as well. As well. So actually, we've got okay. one, called... two, we got a six glass and a can. So we're going to say it's good night for me and good night from him and cheers. Wow, there's a clang. <laughs> just, Hang on a second. Didn't even break. Alrighty, fellas. Not the balanced diet. Oh, oh, God. so. Chuck's got a balanced diet. He's yeah. got two two glasses that are exactly the same. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Reeve. We appreciate it. Before we go, tell us where they can find you. Uh, sure. Uh, the best way to find us is actually to go to our website, odiasellers.com slash beer finder. We've got a little bit of an account there that has a map of everywhere we're available, on-premise, off-premise, and maybe a couple of shady locations as well. Uh, Chuck, thank you. Ken, thank you. And Reeve, thank you very much. Fantastic beers. I can't remember the last time I've had such an array of fantastic flavors. So thumbs up to you and uh, make some more. Yeah, make more. (laughs) Working on it. Working on it. Appreciate you, fellas. I really appreciate your time and kind words. All right. right. Thanks a bunch. Cheers. Of course. Cheers. Britain Yankee! Britain Yankee! I'll have a pint, Yankee. Go, give us a pint. You got any tetanus? A pint, please, Bob. Give me another pint.